this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Playlist Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Barfield, Managing Editor of The Playlist. And for this episode, I'm presenting a recent interview I had with filmmaker Paul Feig as he's promoting his new film on Netflix, The School for Good and Evil. For those unfamiliar with Feig's work, he has been a filmmaker working in the comedy genre for decades now. He obviously has been involved in a number of TV series, including Freaks and Geeks, as well as directing episodes of Arrested Development, The Office, and many more. In film, he's worked as a director of features such as Bridesmaid, Spy, The Heat, and A Simple Favor. His latest film is the YA fantasy, The School for Good and Evil. The School for Good and Evil tells the story of, well, two fairy tale schools, one for good teens to learn how to be heroes and another for evil teens who will learn how to be successful villains. The film stars Charlize Theron and Kerry Washington as the headmasters of the two schools and rounding out the cast are Lawrence Fishburne, Sophia Ann Caruso, and Sophia Wiley, who also star in the film. In our discussion, we talk quite a bit about the fantasy genre and the trick to adapting quality fairy tales for the big screen, especially when it comes to subverting tropes. We also talk about Feig's love of TV and why he's always taken on new series. Then towards the end of our discussion, we go over a couple projects he has in the works, such as his first sequel, A Simple Favor 2, and his long-in-development horror film, Dark Army. But before I throw it to the interview, i got to tell you, the Playlist Podcast is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes Be Real, The Fourth Wall, Deep Focus, The Discourse, Bingeworthy, and more. And if you want to find us, you can check your podcast app of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, or anywhere else you find your favorite shows. Okay, without any further ado, here's my interview with filmmaker Paul Feig. His new film, School for Good and Evil, is available now on Netflix. Enjoy. The School for Good and Evil has been in development for years, well before you signed on. So I'm curious, when you sign on to such a big project and you're not the first person in the door, what's that like for you? Do you kind of just start from scratch or did you incorporate kind of what had been worked on before? Well, I, you know, they'd been developing it for so long because it was it was a tough book to develop because it's so big, you know, and there's a lot of stuff and how do you pare it down? And they'd been through a lot of different versions of it, I know. But when it came to me, you know, I really liked it. I mean, all the bones were there. 
you know, David McGee had done such a great job and all that. But, you know, you get it and you kind of see the things you want to do, uh, things you want to kind of shore up and, and change. Um, also, then I hadn't read the books before that. So um, then went in and read the books and kind of started consulting with Soman, who was great, you know, who, who's the author of, of the book series and just kind of picking his brain. Like, you know, what are the fans what would the fans be missing if they didn't have it in there? And even like, what, what are some of the key, lo- key lines of dialogue that they, they really love? You know, and I don't want to do total fan service because, you know, <laughs> you can get burned doing that. I speak from experience, um, <laughs> you know, so you, but I want them to be happy, but I also want to bring a whole new group of people to it. And what I don't want to do, and what's my least favorite thing that happens in movies these days is the audience has to be familiar with the material before they show up. You know, that that was that thing of like, I'm going, I don't know what's going on there. Oh, well, you need to know the comic. You need to know the book. It's like, well, I'm watching a movie. I don't want, I don't want to study for going to see a movie. So that was really important to me. Like, how do we tell this story effectively for new people and satisfactorily for the the people who know the book? So it's quite a dance. (laughs) Yeah. And building off of that, this fantasy films and and YA fantasy films too, they they tend to have a lot of exposition, just necessary exposition, because, you know, you have to basically get out a new glossary of terms for everybody to understand. So what was your experience adapting or, or, you know, adding to the script and trying to make sure you don't, you know, have too, like you were saying, too much of that fan service, but also enough that, that, you know, you, you can, so people like me who have never read the book, haven't even heard of it, understand what's going on with Evers and Nevers. Yeah. I mean, you know, the first challenge we had was like, how much time do we spend setting things up in Gabaldon? You know, because, you know, you want to get to the school and everybody's like, let's get to the school and the magic and all that stuff. And we had versions of the, of the movie that we cut where we cut that Gabaldon stuff way down, but it really, you know, it affected the audience in, in in a bad way because they had no investment in this friendship, you know, because if you don't have that friendship that you care about and you want to get, you know, get them to stay together, then you've kind of got nothing. Cause you know, if you're just going and looking at magic and cool stuff, that's only exciting for a few, you know, a few minutes <laughs> these days, everybody's seen everything. So, so that was a big thing of kind of getting that balance right in Gavelden. But then once you get to the school, I mean, fortunately this is the nice thing about this book is it's not so complex in its, mythology and its terminology you know that you're able to kind of you know explain evers and nevers in a funny way you know when professor w's like you know the school for good school for evil there you know she you get a laugh and it comes across pretty quickly so i'm always desperately trying to avoid um exposition (laughs) wherever i can and and, you know so whatever you can tell visually too so it's something we're always aware of but we're always trying to you know, hide the, hide the, hide the medicine and the peanut butter, if you will. Yeah. And, and, and playing off that a little bit, you mentioned the Gavelden stuff. I think the thing that, that uh, really struck me as surprising right off the bat is the dialogue. You don't, this isn't old English. This isn't, you know, you're not trying to make the witch here. You're, you're really, you know, you update it. So what, what went into that thought process of giving modern dialogue to, to fairy tales? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's funny. You think about that a lot. You know, I, I really did because I've seen, things like this where there's so so modern vernacular that you're kind of like okay you're like where am i but i also didn't want this to be like english you know um and that was the big kind of 
dilemma because you read it and it just it feels like it should be English, weirdly, you know, that like the town of Gavel and just it's got that feel to it. And I was open to that. But also when I just started looking at my the actors I wanted to use, you know, Sophia Ann Caruso's American. And, you know, at one point, the auditions I had her put on an English accent. I was just like, oh, I don't I don't like it. It just feels weird. And again, it becomes Harry Pottery, too, when you do that. And I just like people at their at their powers, you know, and I feel like not that they can't do it, but when people put on an accent, it's just one extra layer between them and, you know, the camera, really, because, you know, I like to throw out ideas, like, oh, try this, try that. And if they've suddenly got to, like, be thinking about how they say it with the right accent and do it, it just, I, I didn't like that. And so the, once I had Sophia and Caruso and uh, Sophia Wiley, and they're American, I was just like, let's just make gaveled and just American. We got one kid who's got a British accent just because I thought his voice was funny. Um, <laughs> you know, but then when you get to the school, it's like, okay, this is, these are international. So it's people from everywhere, all different fairy tales across the world. Now we can just melting pot all the, all the, all the uh, accents. So that, that was kind of the, the, the thinking in it. What were you thinking casting Sophia as Sophie and then Sophia as her friend? <laughs> it was an accidental thing. I would never seek that out again. Like, can I get everybody with the same name? Because it's really um, no, it's just kind of hilarious. And, and Sophia Ann is playing Sophie, so there yeah, was actually yeah. three Sophies uh, involved. You know, you just make the decision. You know what? You are now Ms. Wiley. You are now Ms. Caruso. <laughs> Go from there. Um, and and the the I think the two stars that are really uh, headlining everything on in the marketing are, are obviously Charlize Theron and Kerry Washington. They're huge. Um, and, and they're having a blast in this movie. You can just tell. So where, when you're casting, do you just like throw out names? You're like, Oh man, Charlize Theron, Kerry Washington, if I can get them, they'd be great. Or was it just kind of a happy accident? How'd that come about? Well, they both, these both came about because they're two people I know who I've been trying to work with. Um, you know, I, I directed Charlize on Arrested Development uh, a couple of episodes back in 2005, and we had so much fun, and we were always like, you got to do something else together. So we were predis predisposed to trying to work together again. And when I read it, it's just like, okay, this, you know, what's more Charlize than getting to play this funny, deliciously evil character, you know? So it just, it was such a no brainer, like, okay, that's it. And then Carrie, the same thing. I mean, I'd never worked with Carrie, but I'm really, I'm friends with her because one of my best friends is Betsy Beers, who's Shonda Rhimes producing partner. And I was such a scandal fan. So back then I was just like, you got to introduce me to Carrie. So I got to hang out with Carrie and same thing. Like, what do we do together? And when I read this, you know, I, I wanted somebody, a great actor who's also really funny for the role of Dovey because she's such a loopy character. And just remembered like when, when Carrie uh, hosted SNL, she was really funny. And so I was like, oh, this is great. So yeah, same thing. You just go like, would you do this? <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was actually kind of the easiest casting I ever had because it just like, I just really only wanted them to play it. it you know, you have certain things in my career where I'm like okay if I can't get this person I'm not doing the movie for <laughs> like, spy it was just like if it's not Jason Statham I'm not, I'm not doing the movie you know so same thing with, with the two of them it's just like we gotta I have to have them in the movie wow the, they're good gets to have to have I guess yeah so. I'm very lucky that I yeah so yeah. I have a very young daughter. She's a little too young for, for this movie. But when she the moment she was born, suddenly like my wiring changed and I started looking at everything through, you know, is this good for for young females to watch? And I'm watching this and and you guys do such a great job. I mean, the crux of this movie is female friendship and and the love between female friends. And I found that like such a subversion over classic princess fairy tales. So 
when you're when you're crafting this film, do you have that kind of internal mandate to make sure you didn't follow into or fall into any of those fairy tale cliches? Yeah, I mean, that's really what that was the thing that made me want to do the movie when I read the, the script the first time was this strong female friendship that is not, you know, that, that, that she doesn't leave with the prince, you know, that, that it's very, very much about that, the power of that friendship, because, you know, it's just a theme in all my movies, if you kind of look at them all. Um, yeah, so, so, you know, it, it, it was easy to not fall into the trap, because the book was kind of hardwired for that anyway. And, you know, for me, the big fun was getting to deconstruct the whole idea of fairy tales, because I am not a fan of fairy tales. When I was a kid, <laughs> I hated fairy tales. I just, I hated them because they were either too scary or they were too moralistic or too simplistic. I don't know. There's something about them I didn't like. And so when I, you know, when they, when somebody told me it was for, about fairy tales, my first instinct is like, oh, I don't like fairy tales. And there's like, oh no, this is actually a book that really you know, and, and movie that would de deconstruct that world and kind of say, this world is kind of fucked up, <laughs> you know? And so that was when like, oh, good. So I actually felt like I kind of came in ready to tear whatever wiring was left out of the fairy tale world. It, and fairy tales, again, same thing for me. When when I see this movie I, at, on paper, I'm like, this is not for me, right? Like I'm not your target demo, but yeah. I, I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, this is this is great because not only, like we said, the female friendship, but you do subvert so many of those tropes and, and you have a little bit of everything. So uh, I guess, you know, bravo to you and, and, to, and to put this in one movie. But uh, that transitions to my next question in uh, this is a prop this was a popular book a YA book and it's got something like five or six sequels so mm -hmm. was there uh any was there any thought going in like I'm I'm here for the long haul or were you like if I could just make one of these movies and I'm done I'm good <laughs> no I mean I've always kind of been you know I don't do sequels in general but I've always weirdly still been looking for a franchise because I think there's something so lovely about that but I but I don't want to do it as these things as tv series just because I like to tell a complete story in the two two plus hours that, that you're there because i think there's something very satisfying about that and also some there's there's a trust level you have with with the filmmakers because when i watch open-ended stories i'm always like do they know how they're going to end this <laughs> you know are we just kind of zigging and zagging and they're going to figure it out later so you know so i was drawn to that but yeah, I would, you know, I would very much like to do, you know, at least one more of these just because having having created, you know, visually created this world from Soman's books, you know, that's something you don't ever get to do this fully, you know, you know, like Ghostbusters was fun because we we're creating characters for that, but we're still in the modern world. Uh, and this was just, I mean, ground up from from the very beginning, like the look of it and everything. So so it's kind of hard to just go, hey, okay, and I'm done with that. You know, like it becomes a part of you. So yeah, I, I, I would love to do at least one more. If not, you know, we'll see. Yeah. So, uh, and, and I correct me if I'm wrong. I think this is your first time working with Netflix as a director. So, uh, when, was there any hesitation? Cause you're, you're taking such a, a, a large Epic story. It's a fantasy film. Was there any hesitation knowing that most people would see this for the first time on a TV screen or even a laptop or God forbid no. a phone? Yeah, you know, that, that's our nightmare. I have to say, <laughs> uh, when you're shooting these big scenes, you know, big wide shots, you're like, oh, someone can watch this on their phone. Um, you know, I look. You always think about that. You know, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a big screen guy, definitely. Um, but at the same time, you know that on Netflix, you're going to reach so many more people than you would in a movie theater, unless your movie was just, you know, the most successful movie of all time. 
Um, and also just knowing that like most people have pretty kick-ass sis home systems now. You know, I mean, just you know, it, very few people don't have a giant TV or some form of TV that's way bigger than TVs. You know, I grew up with. Um, you know, you always have a sound bar and stuff. So I'm, it, it it helps me go like, okay, they're they're at least going to see this in a way that is big, unless they watch it on their you know personal devices, which. Sure, whatever. Watch it however you want to, but uh, <laughs> just watch it. Put some yeah, music, please. Exactly. You know, but look, there's nothing like when we are mixing in Atmos and we got on the big screen. And we just had our premiere the other night at the at the um, Westwood Village. We, it was a thousand people in there, and the place was just rocking. I mean, because it was half filled with like fans, and they were just going nuts. I mean, it was so wonderful to hear them like screaming at stuff and cheering at stuff and all that. So, you know, that kind of group experience is something that you really appreciate. But, you know, look, I get it all. I got that and people are seeing it on on Netflix. So and I I just want to say one thing. I got to call out Netflix for being so great to take a chance on a new franchise and put, you know, and put real money into it because nobody does that anymore, as we know. You know, nobody wants to take a chance on the first iteration of something that could be big, but nobody knows if it's going to be so you know, Ted Serranos and Scott Stuber and, you know, Nick Nesbitt, the, the, the whole gang over there, I really just credit them for, for, you know, being forward thinking in that way. Cause we need new franchises. We, you know, we can't keep going back to the same ones over and over. Not that they're not great, but like we need more. Yeah, I agree. So you're someone who likes to jump from genre to genre, especially in your most recent films. So y- you really broke out with comedy, obviously, but now you're doing full on fantasy. So do you like to just keep it fresh or is it just one of those things where an offer gets brought to you and you're like, Oh, this could be fun. Well, I mean, it's a little bit of both. My my goal has always been to kind of just work through all the genres. My my hero was Howard Howard Hawks, you know, and uh, you know he went from screwball comedy to gangster movies to western, you know, and did it so effortlessly, and they all worked. So that really drives me. I don't like to repeat myself, and I like new challenges. I'm really into to doing things that scare me. Um, but it all comes down to the story, really, you know, and, and it's if, if I connect with the characters and with the, the, the heart of the story, then it's just like the, the genre is just the icing on the cake of a way to tell it and, and, and doesn't make it a more effective way to tell it. You know, I mean, this story could obviously just take place in the high school, you know, but it's like the fact that now there's magic on top of it, and, you know, and in this world and this this high stakes world of life and death and all that it just, it raises the stakes on this friendship and in this relationship in a way that's, that's really great. So, um, yeah, but, but yeah, but I, I, I like to, I like to say all my movies are still comedies, you know, because we work very hard to get the comedy in there. This one's, you know, not, 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 you know, balls of the wall, hilarious, but there's, you know, there's enough moments to get big laughs in it that, that I can, I can feel good about it. But, you know, I, what I can never do is, try to inject comedy into a genre at the expense of the genre. So, you know, so we shot a lot of jokes for this that we didn't put in just because you're like, okay, that's now we're just, are we making fun of it? And I never want to make fun of the genre. I don't want to do parody. I don't like parody. I don't like satire. Um, you know, and so it's just trying to be true number one to the, the story and then get your funny in from the characters. Yeah. And and speaking of funny, you're one of the people involved with Welcome to Flatch, uh, which I think is is one of the best new comedies of the past couple of years. I love that show. Awesome. So um, but it always seems like you're involved one way or another in a TV project, either a new one or a long running one, either directing or producing or writing. So um, this dates back two decades now, Freaks and Geeks. So what is it about TV that just keeps you coming back? 
It's the ability to stay with characters week after week. You know, I mean, with the movies, it's the one complete thing that you, you know, like I was talking about earlier, that you try to, you know, it's it, the challenge of wrapping something up complete, introducing people to a set of characters in the first five minutes, making them care, taking them through a whole thing and ending it satisfactorily for them is, you know, I think it's kind of the hardest thing to do. But what I like about TV is you get to settle in with characters and you get the time to fall in love with them. And you, when you hear people talking about, you know, Seinfeld and talking about, I mean, anything, any successful sitcom, they talk about the characters like they are their friends, you know, oh, see what George did last, like, oh, you know, what Joey did, you know, and so that kind of relationship with an audience to a property is is a beautiful thing and and it's different from a movie in in a weird way and so i never want to lose either one of those and there's some stories that just should be tv shows you know what i love about also about the best tv is to completely low concept as far as i'm concerned then you know look at the office i mean a documentary about people working in a paper factory and that's what i loved about welcome to flash because you know it's based on the british show of this country which I was so brilliant, you know, the, the, you know, Daisy and Charlie Cooper shoot that in their hometown village, you know, and they've got like their relatives are in it, people from the town are in it. And I just love that, that low stakes kind of thing. And so it felt like the perfect thing to bring, you know, to bring over here and set in Ohio, because it's just about, you know, funny people in a small town. So yeah, I, I never want to lose those two. I always want to be in TV to satisfy that one urge and then open movies, you know, to do the other. And uh, before I let you go, I, I want to ask about a couple projects that uh, that you supposedly have on the on the docket here. Uh, the first one was recently in, uh, reported that you're attached to a simple favor too. Um, so I'm curious. You just you mentioned earlier in this interview you don't like to do sequels. Uh, mm -hmm. This is a sequel. So what is it about that original film that that you thought like there's more here? It's these characters stick with you. You know, you 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 fall in love with characters, and also you fall in love with actors too. The actors playing the playing the characters that you can't separate the two. Um, but I just felt like Stephanie and Emily have have another another adventure in them, and, and you know, I we ended that movie with them separate, you know, and, and not like, we had it actually had an ending that we ended up cutting out where you find out six months later, Stephanie's actually going to the jail and talking to Emily to get inside tracks for cold cases she's trying to solve. And so they have kind of a begrudging friendship, but then we cut that out because the audience was just, they just wanted, you know, Anna Kendrick to win. <laughs> and uh, I respect that, but it just felt like there's more we could do with this and I love I love the character of well both those characters, but I really love Stephanie, you know, who Anna Kendrick plays because putting somebody in over their head is it, that's comedy gold. Then you know, I mean, that's what Spy was all about. You know, all of those things, and I just felt like, oh gosh, there's a we let's 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 take Anna Kendrick's character into a much crazier, bigger world and see what happens. And obviously Emily is her tour guide into it. So, uh, you know, without giving anything away, uh, yeah, we I had an, I had a base idea for a story. I was like, Oh, that would be really fun. You know? And so, yeah, we got Jessica Scharzer back and she's, you know, writing the script. It, it just, it's just now it's just down to scheduling if we can actually pull it off or not. 
uh, the other the other one I want to talk about is is going back to your thing about trying every genre. It's Dark Army. Uh, this was a pre-pandemic announcement, so I know that the pandemic really threw a, a cog in a bunch of works and movies. But uh, I'm curious if that one's still in the works, and and you know that that was the movie for people who don't know's your take on Universal Monsters or that sort of like classic horror genre. So yeah. uh, so what's what's up with that movie? Well, I don't know. Uh, that's one I'm desperate to make. I, I am such a fan of the old James Whale, you know, classic uh, uh, monster movies from Universal. And this was kind of my little ode to that, but with new characters, you know, I mean, a couple of couple of characters brought along, but uh, but new ones too. And you know, I think the studio felt like it might be too expensive. I don't agree. I think we, I just have to convince them. You know, honestly, when I did School for Good and Evil, like some of the things like our wolf guards and stuff, I was like, okay, see, we can do this practically. You know, it doesn't everything had, doesn't have to be CG because that's what I love about those old movies. They're not CG. They're people in costumes and makeup. And it works. It's great, you know. And obviously, a modern audience brings higher expectations to stuff. But I also think if you go into a world saying this is what it is, and you set the rules right up front, people will go along for the ride. I mean, look at James Wan. You know, he does so much stuff in camera, and it works great. It's just really if you're telling a great story and people are invested in it, they'll go along for the ride. So, um, so I probably need to do another draft to try to <laughs> make it read a little cheaper, I guess. But uh, but I'm not giving up on that one because that that that's a real real passion project for me. And there's nothing more dangerous than a passion project, I'll tell you. But is, I, I really do want to make it. <laughs> is horror kind of your white whale at this point? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I love horror. You know, I don't like, I'm not, you know, the only horror I don't really like is kind of, you know, the torture porn and that kind of right. stuff. But I just like... I like being scared. I love thrillers. I love, you know, scary stuff. Um, you know, a few jump scares. I'm not a huge fan of jump scares. Jump scares are really fun to do when you're the filmmaker. But <laughs> I find them not fun to do when I'm in the audience. Because, like, when you're there, you're like, okay, and here it comes, and they're going to jump. But, like, I'm there, like, oh, no, what's it going to be? So, um, but just that kind of spooky, eerie kind of thing, I, I just think is great. And it's just, and obviously, as we know, it's such a great way to metaphorically tell whatever it's on your mind at the time so before i let you go i got kind of a a, a silly fascination question uh i was kind of obsessed with quibi at the time uh <laughs> and i know this is out of left field but that was the the short form mobile streamer uh people don't know and quick i, bites. I quick bites. Just, yeah just... quick bites i subscribed to it and i i thought it was fairly clever in some of the some of the instances um and you were attached to produce uh, uh, several things, I think is what the report said. And I'm curious what drew you to that format. And also if you think there's still space in the industry right now for a disruptive streamer or disruptive sort of uh, distribution model like that. I think there totally is. I, I, I think, you know, I, we can deconstruct why Quibi didn't work all, all day. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I think being anything subscription is really dangerous, you know, because people just, we're just used to getting stuff for free, you know. I mean, obviously Netflix aside and all that, but anything short bites of, of stuff, it's just hard to charge people for that. But, you know, there, yeah, I, I was involved in a, in a couple of things. There, one we actually shot. It was a game show called Teleprompter that was really, really fun. Uh, that we're actually it's, it's being sold somewhere else because we have six episodes of it. So it will show. I forget where it's going, but it's going to be somewhere. Um, but no, I you know the great thing about short form is it's a place where new voices can come out. I mean, I don't know if you watch Dust, you know, but I think like you know Dust is a great service an app we've got my old show other spaces on there but i love going on there and just seeing all these kind of short films that are super inventive by these new filmmakers 
and that's what you need. You know, you just need to have people can can access it, and then you got to get the word out. You know, but uh, yeah, anything that that brings new voices and new storytelling into the mix, and being in short, you know, short form is great because you know you don't have you you can discover this uh, stuff without having to you know take all that time and eat up your you know to watch a movie is a big commitment you know but to flip through shorts is you know it's fun it's it's quick bites it's quibby <laughs> but i just i yeah I, sorry if that was like you know bringing you back to to better years no, but, no. I, mean, I, was, I was fascinated by it and you yeah. know with jeffrey you know about it early days and it's one of those things you're like, this could either be fantastic or flame out, you know, entirely. And, but it felt at the time kind of like it could really take off because it was a really interesting business model of like, you know, what scripts do you have around that you've never been able to get made that you could chop up into 10 minute segments. And I was like, that's kind of brilliant. You know, it's just, it's just what the market will bear. It's just how you bring it to market, I guess. I yeah. don't I mean, No offense, Jeffrey. I, you're, <laughs> Did it fine. It just it's it's the impossible thing to figure out is how do you launch something that new that's that kind of innovative. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I gotta let you go, but uh, thank you for for speaking with me about uh, School Good and Evil and everything else. Um, that it's it's a really fun movie. As it's like I said, I'm not your target demo, uh, but I I enjoyed it and I think it's great for for younger people as well. So thank you. Great. Thank you so much. It's really nice to talk to you, Charles. Uh,